You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. People needed someone that didn't require a warrant or shield to get things done. Call it a vigilante or a superhero, call it what you will, but like it or not, I finally accepted that that someone had to be me. Maybe I could have helped you. This burden is bigger than you or me. People are scared, but they can't be paralyzed by that fear. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. You can't just not snitch or turn away or take money under the table because life has turned you sour. When did people stop caring? Harlem is supposed to represent our hopes and dreams. It's the pinnacle of black art, politics, innovation. It's supposed to be a shining light to the world. It's our responsibility to push forward so that the next generation will be further along than us. Pop said his mantra aloud twice a day. The kids in the shop were pissed, but they could never unhear it. Never backwards. Always forward. Welcome, everyone, to a special supplemental episode of the 602 Club. I'm so excited to be here. And honestly, it feels like a Dragon Con reunion show uh, because I've got two wonderful gentlemen here uh, from Dragon Con, uh, brothers from another mother, uh, brothers from down south too, so I'm, I'm feeling at home, so you might hear a lot of y'alls on this show, uh, so just get used to it, but of course, uh, all of you know the wonderful, the talented, the amazing Bruce Gibson. How y'all doing? I never Doing say y'all. Great, Bruce. I never say y'all. I'm not originally from really? the South. My wife That's says true. it all the time. It drives me crazy, actually. <laughs> but this mean? time y'all I Y'all is such you. a I mean, it's better than you guys. I mean, y'all is at least gender inclusive. No, it's all of you. All of you. That's what you say. Hello, all, all of, of you. you. Why don't you just say how how do y'all everyone how, I mean, yeah. How do and, y'all? Well, and and Bruce, we have a brand new fun member of the 602 club welcome for the very first time the incredible the incomparable michael morris sup nice yeah <laughs> there you go getting into the spirit of this 602 club which is deep in the heart of harlem so we are going to be talking about some luke cage very excited to be talking about this um, i'm going to say right up front i enjoyed luke cage uh before we dive in fully just want to remind everybody, of course, that the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network, and you can find that all over the place. The best place is iTunes, itunes.com slash trekfm. We're a featured provider there. And while you're there, uh, please, 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 please hit us up with the star rating and review. Uh, help the 602 Club grow, help more people find it. And uh, I also just appreciate hearing your thoughts on the show there. And give us a rating and a star review. We'll mention you in the show and thank you personally. So thank you so much to all who have already done that. You can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We have our listeners-only discussion group. That's the Babel Conference. You can find that on 
Facebook, of course. Just type Babel into the search field there, and we can let you into the group. And uh, if you would like to send us some emails, I'd love to hear what you thought of Luke Cage and uh, looking maybe to do a mailbag episode, which would be fun. Send that over to trek.fm slash contact, choose the show, choose the 602 Club, and that will come up straight to me. So guys, diving right into Hell's Kitchen to Harlem, uh, it's been interesting because uh, we've been starting this uh, slow run up to what we're going to get is the Defender series. We've had Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Daredevil Season 2, and now Luke Cage, uh, who was featured in Jessica Jones for quite a few episodes. And so just wanted to know if you guys had any history with the character before that, or if you'd read the comics, or what did you know about Luke Cage before coming in? What about you, Bruce? Well, my history with Luke Cage is we used to go out and do Chinese quite often, usually on a Thursday night. Um, no, of course not. I don't really have a history with Luke Cage. I mean, I'm, I, I was familiar that there was a, a character named Luke Cage in the Marvel comics, uh, years ago, when I was a kid, I used to get the Defenders comics for a little while, and he was in a few issues of that. But outside of that, that was it, because I have not, I've watched some of Daredevil, haven't finished watching all of them. I haven't watched any of Jessica Jones, so it's interesting that you mentioned that he's in that, because of course I would have been introduced to his character in that manner. So when I go back and watch those, it'll be pretty cool to see him. So I'm coming in this fresh and new as if, you know, this is a new series that was created for television and didn't come from the comics. Unlike some people, I think, on the show who are familiar with Luke Cage. Well, Bruce, that would not be me, uh, because, uh, you know, for for me personally, I'm not as familiar with Marvel Comics as I am DC, and it's kind of fun in that way, though. I, I enjoy coming into these shows kind of fresh, not really knowing anything, and so I feel like, in a lot of ways, the show can just stand on its own. I don't have a ton of expectations going into it, so that's also fun. I mean, anything DC... Honestly, I have a lot more expectations. They have a lot more to live up to for me because I know the source material much better. And so it is fun to be able to do that. But Michael, I think you might be our resident expert on Luke Cage on the show. Sweet Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I um, I mean, I, I've kind of uh, read different things with him in it throughout the years. One of my favorite runs ever was, let's see, it'd be back around 2005 when... It was after they, they basically did this whole thing called uh, Avengers Disassembled, in which case uh, Scarlet Witch went crazy and created this whole uh, other world where there were no mutants anymore. And then once they got everything back together and all, they uh, started the Avengers back up with the new Avengers and Luke Cage actually led that, uh, that group. And that was the Avengers title there for a while. Uh, there wasn't a, you know, Earth's Mightiest Heroes or anything like that. It was just the new Avengers, uh, and it was led by Luke Cage. So I, uh, I'm i pretty familiar with him, and I, I actually like Luke Cage a lot. No, I I, I actually have to say I, I love Luke Cage uh, from what we got in the show. I think he is a, a very fun character. Uh, he's enjoyable. I love his corny sense of humor. Uh, I mean, just it, uh, the character as portrayed here, I thought was very enjoyable to watch and made the season a, a joy to be a part of and, and continue watching each episode because, you know, it, all of these shows are pretty dark on, on Netflix, which is fine with me. Uh, I enjoyed watching, I think, Cage be a nice supplement to the mopiness of Daredevil that you get 
you know, uh, and which again, I don't have a problem with any of these, but he tends to be a little bit more mopey. Jessica Jones is very sarcastic, and Luke Cage is just kind of just kind of a normal guy, you know. Who and and it's great. Uh, were there any parts uh, that you really noticed, Michael? Were there any storylines from Luke Cage that you had read that they pulled from? You felt like, or did this feel like they were just kind of pe- really cherry picking? Well, I think that they they definitely went back to a, a lot of the roots with like uh, Cottonmouth and Diamondback and stuff, but. Uh, the thing that you have to keep in mind is that when Luke Cage started, it was back when uh, black exploitation was really big. So that you can't really do things in quite the same way uh, that they were done back then. But for it, good reason, <laughs> right? Right. It was um, it was true to the characters, but also uh, really evolved and and gave a fresh story. So. Which I think, I mean, gosh, the great way, I, I think, to kind of move into one of the major themes here that I really like. And I think I will say right up front that Luke Cage does a fantastic job of being almost a bomb to, and a balm, like you put on your lips, like a lip balm, that kind of <laughs> balm, uh, to a lot of the things that we've been seeing on television. And uh, what I mean is the news. Uh, going on in our country, and I think Luke Cage, the series, has a lot to say to all sides of those issues, which I thought was wonderful, and one of the things that was really interesting to me was the way that this show deals with manhood, and like what it means to, and, and, and specifically, obviously, for this show, what it means to be a black man, and up front, obviously, there are no black men on, on the panel. Uh, and so uh, there will be things here where I would love to hear from some listeners about what they thought. Uh, you know, if uh, if you happen to be black, I think that would be fantastic. I would love to have a conversation with somebody um, about what they thought about the show. And maybe if you have a different experience, because I think um, there there's a lot that I I can pull from here. But I would love to see what people um, that are different from me thought. So. Watching this show, I thought this was really fascinating. Watching all of these different characters struggle with what manhood means. And specifically, you know, when we got Cottonmouth's backstory, and and that really struck me um, with the way in which people taught him what it was like to be a man. I mean, because he wasn't going to be a killer. He wasn't going to be a part of the mob. This guy was going to be a jazz guy. I mean, he, and, and, and I would say he was so talented, he could have been, you know, the next, like, Miles Davis or something. And yet he's pulled into this whole world against his will and turned into something he doesn't want to be. And I just, I thought that was a really fascinating storyline to watch in conjunction with that theme. Yeah, I think that's why he turned out to be my favorite character of the series. Uh, I thought Cottonmouth's backstory, as you were saying, was quite interesting. I wasn't expecting to see that when uh, I wasn't really expecting to see flashbacks, of course, to their childhood. So it was interesting the upbringing he had and not just the influence his father had, but his mother and just just the whole dynamics of that family was so messed up. And it's, you know, I felt some pity for him because like you said, he could have been a great jazz 
musician. But he was almost brought up that that's not the way things go. That's not how you handle yourself. That's not how you're you're to be a man. And I I thought the actor did a great job with him. I I don't have daddy issues. My only daddy issues are like my dad embarrasses me in public. But um, so I can't relate to these characters or anything in that <laughs> manner. But it is interesting how each of these men had ish family issues and they've all handled it differently. And that's what's so great, because once we see Cottonmouth and then we get to Diamondback, it's a it's a similar but different situation. I can imagine you pass that on to uh, those daddy issues to your kids, right, Bruce? That's what they tell me all the time. I embarrass them <laughs> in public. <laughs> and on, and on uh, yeah, the show. Ha- having, having spent uh, some time with you, I, I have seen you embarrass your daughters uh, in of public, and it, it's yes. cute. I and I embarrass my wife, it. too. <laughs> I can see that, too. Um, you know, it's it's funny that you, you said that, though, because Cottonmouth uh, was probably my favorite character. It's hard to say, like, my favorite character was like, oh, I really like Cottonmouth, but it's like, but if I say he's my favorite, then I can't, uh, you know, I, I can't pick another character. So, but I did really, really like Cottonmouth. Uh, for this second right now, I'm going to say he's my favorite, but it may change in a moment. And I guess, uh, I don't know if we're jumping into spoilers yet or yeah, not. Yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, that's a good time. We'll give a spoiler warning here. If you haven't seen all the show, you've been warned. That that was the one thing is by the time that I'd been fully broken down by the show and said, you know what, I really like this guy. They're like, and he's out. <laughs> I was like, what, really? Uh, because you just, you felt for him so much right there up at the end. I think that was the thing that I, I, I loved is is like you were talking about Bruce. He's being like pulled away from his music and, and basically told that's not what real men do. Real men don't create something beautiful. Real men kill and protect the family and run the family business. I mean, and, and, and how sad that is. And, and what I loved away is the way that all of these different men's stories kind of play off each other. And so, you know, you had Pops who was somebody who was running in these gangs and, and you know, popping people in the mouth. That's how he got his name. And I, I love what he says, you know, what would have happened to me if someone had given up on me? Like, what would have happened to my life if somebody had just given up on me? And, and that idea of, like, that somebody stepped into his life and, and showed him a different way. And so what he does is then give these fatherless boys a safe place to encourage them to learn some respect for themselves and for others and I love that he's having a conversation with uh, Luke, and he says, you know, everybody has a gun, nobody has a father. And this, this idea of how important male role models are for, for young boys to understand what it means to be a real man, and that each one of these guys has different role models in their lives telling them what, they're gonna, what it means to be a man, and that's kind of what they end up turning into. And... Uh, you know, I, I really thought that that was really interesting. And of course, you guys mentioned, you know, once you get to Stryker, talk about ultimate daddy issues. I mean, he, that's his main motivation is his daddy issues. Yeah, I don't know. That one, that one felt a little weak to me. It, or it, it just didn't add up because, I mean, I understand that his father had an affair and so he's like this you know, treated like this bastard child. But at at the same time, 
I mean, it sounds like his upbringing was pretty close to the church. He could quote the Bible. And I, I, I mean, I'm not to say he wouldn't have issues, but to go as far as he was and to take his revenge on his, uh, his half brother, it just, I, I just didn't buy, I felt like it was going a little too far. It was a little too melodramatic for me. Well, and yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing because, you know, uh, the, the actor who played, um, Stryker said, you know, how, this was an interesting question, you know, if your whole childhood, you realize that you're a bastard and everybody calls you one, basically, you're illegitimized and you're swept under the rug and then you're thrown into the jail system and you kind of get tortured there. How do you not kind of come out twisted and warped and, you know, and so I thought that was an interesting way to put it. But at the same time, I remember when the revelation came that he was his brother and I was like, really that you're like you're you're taking this out on your other brother who had nothing to do with you because of high school issues like what happened back in like high school well, like, and remember he said they were love you as they much, were really or? close that they were best yeah. friends so that that does bother me a little bit I think it gets a little bit better as the series progressed in the season um, like I, I was a little bit more comfortable with it by the time we got to the end, but if if there's a weak point to the the season, I think it's the motivation of Striker. It just it is very very melodramatic. So, um, and I don't know this movie. What did Michael? What did you think? Honestly, that that part, yeah, I kind of agree. I liked part of it, uh, but other parts were a little meh um at least it was a good excuse to uh kind of play son of a preacher man i guess um (laughs) but (laughs) you know it's like it was fine but it's not only is it something that we've kind of seen before it's something we've seen before in marvel movies um a la thor you know um it, it just it was a little too familiar i think though i don't know now the original backstory um, unless something came out later that I, I didn't read or, or am not familiar with. They weren't actually brothers. They were just friends. And uh, it was actually Riva that was sort of the thing. So they 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 were more split up by, uh, you know, Reva because both of them wanted her. So I don't know that that would necessarily be better. That's a little tropey too, I guess. But uh, it was fine for the most part. I, you know, just to be 100% honest, I, I think that... Uh, the cottonmouth stuff was really where I, I was. And then uh, once he was out of the picture, Shades was the more interesting character. Yes, Shades is my second favorite. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you guys. I think that for me, the the villain that I liked the most was Cottonmouth. And then when you combined that with his cousin, Mariah, and Shades, I thought they were the most interesting villains I thought Diamondback felt like kind of the over the top, you know, and and again melodramatic. And I mean, he's the guy. Yeah, he's quoting the Bible all the time. Of course, he's quoting the Bible and really has he's pulling everything out of context. He's it just makes for great quotes, uh, you know. So I, I yeah, I, I'm right there with you. But what was interesting for all the melodrama between. Diamondback and Luke Cage, what was interesting is the way in which that portrayed the sins of the father getting passed down to the son. 
and the way that perpetuates in society and continuing that idea of, of manhood and, and that these young boys, it's almost as if they are predestined to be the way that they are because nobody's there for them. You know, nobody's there to really teach them. And, and even if they are predisposed, like Cottonmouth, to, to be different, uh, they kind of get beat into submission to be who the, the society is telling them to be. Unless somebody stands up and teaches them some personal responsibility, like Pops. Uh, you know, and I thought that was, I mean, really beautiful that he's that one that he was going down that road and somebody helped save him, so he's there to save somebody else and passing that on. And, and the idea of just you live and die by your choices. Your nurture might be there, but you still live and die by the choices that you make, you know. Uh, and I love that he says to Luke, you know, boys run, men stand. And uh, he's really the one who helps format and Luke and, and, and give him the motivation, obviously, his death to, to come out and say, I, it's got to be me to, to stop these people. Like, and I thought, I just think that's so cool. And I just love the way that it, you know, it's, it's not sugarcoating anything about society or the situations that we have, like in inner cities. Um, but also being realistic too. Like there's a lot more that goes into this than just like, um, people being poor and, and bad choices and everything. It's, it's, everything together you know uh it's not just one thing and uh, that complexity means that you can't just disregard people and I, I think that's what i love about this series is that it does a great job of giving a face um to a lot of people that a lot of people in america might not really interact with all that much and showing that it it's a lot more complex than just you know well they made bad choices that's that's not all it is so i thought that was really cool yeah and mariah is definitely one that falls into that bucket too i mean she has the family issues that cottonmouth had but a little different experiences in her path in her past which has created her to take her revenge onto cottonmouth i thought her character became very more complex than what we saw in the beginning i mean she holds political office she She's playing politics, but in in the beginning of the series, to me, she felt very, she knew that her cousin's in the wrong, and he's doing wrong things, and, and she she's kind of helping him, but trying to help him move forward, but as long as he pays her back, but when he's going too far, she's like, you gotta quit this, you gotta, you know, you gotta make things right again, and, 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 and play things right, but as things go on in this series, she gets just as bad, if not worse, than him. And by the way, she's played by Alfred Woodward, who played uh, Lily in Star Trek First Contact. I love this actress. She's great. I was so happy to see her in this series. I had to throw the Star Trek thing in there for Michael. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm glad you did because it's fantastic. And I think this is a great time to talk about all the villains with Mariah and Cottonmouth and Shades and Diamondback. I mean, because on a whole, really rich characters. Like, the, the villains are just as interesting as... Luke Cage, for the most part, which is makes for a fantastic show. Yeah, I, one thing I, I will say, I guess uh, I'm going to be the the odd man out on this one, but uh, I didn't actually care for Mariah. 
I just, I, her character, I didn't believe at, in the end where all of a sudden she's leading everything. I'm like, no, she's really been a pawn this entire time. And for me to believe now that she's in charge is just a stretch, I think. Um, on top of that, I didn't think the actress was very good. I just, uh, her, a lot of her uh, facial expressions just weren't very believable. I just didn't feel like she was very committed uh, when she was trying to do stuff. You know, uh, in particular, when she was supposed to be freaking out and killed Cottonmouth, it just seems like she was just screaming lines rather than actually feeling rage. Maybe I'm alone in that, but I was just like, it just doesn't work for me. No, I wouldn't say you're alone. I, I As much as I love this actress, this wasn't the best part that I've seen her do. So I remember being a little disappointed in her performance. I don't want to say it was a bad performance, but I've seen her do so much better. So I was a little disappointed that I wasn't blown away from her like I am in other roles. I liked her switch. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's almost as if the Beast finally came out. You know, that she has been holding the Beast at bay for so long in her life. And everything that she was fighting to never be... It explodes out of her, obviously, and it, and it does so in a very violent fashion as, you know, she kills her cousin. And I thought that that turn was fan. I thought she played that fantastically. I can I can understand um, you maybe not liking some of the line deliveries because she does kind of do a little bit of an Al Pacino thing where she'll yell her lines uh, a bit. But uh, I just I I thought that she was a complex and fascinating character to continue to watch and she is just kind of maniacally evil by the end you know and I thought I enjoyed watching that switch as well Um, because whereas you know you thought Cottonmouth was bad but Mariah is like 20 times worse and you just you didn't realize it until you know uh by I guess the last third of the season, and I thought that was just a nice switch. You 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 may not have really seen coming. Um, I mean, I when she threw him out the window, I had I didn't see that one coming, honestly. Yeah, that was a big surprise, and that's probably one of the better scenes that I've liked in the whole series because it was such a shock, and that she you know really not just pushed him out the window, but then she just beat him with a mic stand, just beat him to death. And then Shades walks in and he's like, hey, great job, baby. You're, that's good. That's good. I'm like, okay, I'm loving this. I mean, that whole that whole scene there with these three characters played so well. Um, and, of course, I'm sure we're going to talk more about Shades. But, I mean, he, he's such a great character. But I will say that as I'm watching, after that episode, it kind of went downhill for me. Uh, and then it came back up a little later. But uh, that episode is probably my favorite of the uh, 13. I really like Shades. I wish we kind of knew more about that guy. He's the guy I feel like we know the least about by the end, and I still really want to know more. He was, oh man, he's really good. Uh, I liked the actor playing him, and I can't, I mean, this is one of those things, like I can't wait to see where him and Mariah go next in Luke Cage Season 2, whenever that comes out. Because that's going to be fascinating, because... You know, they're setting up a, a season, I think, for, for Luke that, you know, it can't always just be about him having strong men to beat up. And I am very interested to see how they play all of that. So to me, that's just fascinating stuff. So 
Uh, I thought he was just great. Yeah, the I think the the main thing with Shades is that I, I think what works for him is is his mystery. Um, I think if if we got like some backstory on him and stuff, then it'd be like, oh, okay, well, there, he's just a he's just a regular person now. Um, but I, I liked how he he kind of felt a lot of times. Um, I would sort of underestimate him, and yeah. that led to probably one of the biggest surprises to me in the entire show, which was when uh, he ended up, the uh, Diamondback tried to have him assassinated and he killed everybody because I, I didn't see it coming. I thought, man, they're really drawing this out. But, you know, just the whole time, it just looks like he's he's fighting and fighting to, you know, to no avail. And then just last minute, he pulls the gun and shoots the guys and you're like, whoa <laughs> you know like i didn't see that coming i thought he was dead so that was a huge surprise to me yeah i love that scene too that uh because when that scene happened and he's in the elevator and they they you know trying to choke him to death i was like no i love Cottonmouth, and now this is my next favorite character now he's gonna get killed and when he turned it around on them and he got them back i was like yes that uh i was all like definitely for that um but Shades was definitely one of these characters that, you know, I thought he was pretty cool in the beginning, but as the series progressed, he just became more and more interesting. He's almost, and, and you're right, Matt, he should be still mysterious because I think that's what makes him interesting. He's like the Boba Fett, you know, from Star Wars. You know, we don't want to know too much about Boba Fett because that's what's cool about him. And Shades, you know, his armor are those are the shades. It's the sunglasses, man, you know? And so if a second season comes uh, for this series, I definitely want him to be the main villain along, along with Mariah. Cause she's got to be there with him, but he's, let's just say he's leading and the charge. And that's one of the things that I felt like, you know, I thought that Diamondback was just always going to be the guy that they referenced in this series. And that in season two, he would come in and be the villain. You know, I, I honestly felt like you could probably have, had Cottonmouth, Mariah, and Shades be the main villains and have everything happen that happened without Diamondback being the main guy uh, and have him come in in season two. I'm sure that they have a whole other plan because of the Defenders and all that stuff, but it just seemed like you didn't have to have Diamondback because you already had really compelling villains and and maybe it would have been more interesting to have Diamondback come in uh, with all of the history and do like maybe flashback episodes, you know, like kind of like Arrow style where they do the flashbacks to the island. So you're kind of getting the concurrent stories of what happened to Carl Lucas and, and which is Luke Cage's other name. We haven't used it on the show yet, but so him and, and Stryker, Will Stryker, to have that mean more so it didn't feel so melodramatic and, and we saw more of the what happened to them. Because I liked their flashbacks that they gave us, but I felt like if maybe that had been more a part of like a season two, it, you know, it, it might have meant something more. But, you know, in the end, uh, you needed, uh, I guess they wanted Luke Cage to really give somebody a beat down, uh, you know, a cage match to say. Uh, and and I, I got to ask you this. Okay. Why are superheroes so dumb so t sometimes? <laughs> like, Luke Cage can tell he's wearing a suit, right, that has a pack on its back. Why wouldn't you just beat the heck out of that pack? I said the same thing. 
Because he even like eyes it at one point, and I'm like, yeah, yes. go over there and punch it. Yes. And he's like, nah, I'm going to wear him down. I'm like, all right, Luke, whatever. <laughs> whatever you say, man. <laughs> yep, I was thinking the same thing. Because they even put a camera, zoom in you know, right on that, and showed the pack go out and come back on. It's like, oh, okay, that's what Luke, Luke knows what the kryptonite is against his villain. He's going to take advantage of it and didn't do it. Well, and, and that's what bothered me about the whole thing is that I – my wife and I are just sitting there watching it, and we're like, just just hit the pack, dude. Just hit the pack. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, this is so thing. simple. Like, just hit the pack. And I mean, I know it's more poetic the way that Luke does it, but I mean, it, it's still, it just didn't, it didn't make any sense. Uh, I mean, narratively, it's works better what Luke does, but just actual, like, logic, just hit the pack. Um, yeah, I I think they probably could have cuz they they had some time in that fight. They could have tried to show something where, you know, maybe it's made of vibranium or something and he can't damage the pack or something like that. You know, just a little a little something so that you can actually play out that narrative. Um but uh eh. I mean it it, <laughs> it gave it you needed something to have there's no way that anybody's going to be able to stand up to Luke Cage. Uh, unless he has something special. Uh, interesting that, uh, you know, Hammer Tech is the way that he does it uh, from a Marvel movie that most people kind of forget, uh, Iron Man 2. <laughs> so I'll, I'll thought... never forget that dancing, man. <laughs> 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 oh, gosh. No, I. all in all, I think what was really interesting was the the villains, for the most part, I think, you know, Godmouth, Mariah, Shades, really strong stuff in the season. And I think that was really helpful. Um, and it's where, for me, you know, the the pacing of this season, I think, was much better than what we got in Jessica Jones uh, because Jessica Jones really peaks at the middle of the show. And then it just kind of, like, never gets back up to that level. And by the time you get to the end, you're like, uh. Whereas... Luke Cage just has that continual buildup till you get to the end. Uh, and the biggest thing is watching the resolution to all the different storylines. And so uh, I was really glad that, that they didn't have that mistake again uh, because it ended up working a lot better. Um, and it, it was really interesting because, again, this show is so timely with the idea of the way in which the characters create narratives and use the media to craft those. Um, I mean, we're getting police dash cam videos, you know, being shown, um, only getting a piece of the story, creating a false narrative, uh, creating chaos and fear. I mean, it felt like you just were watching, you know, CNN or something, uh, watching this show, because so much of this felt, like everything we've been watching, you know, for the last few years in America. Yeah, for sure. And uh, from what I had actually uh, heard on that, some of that was actually sort of coincidental. You know, they they started working on this a few years ago. Obviously, uh, the the main thing that you can kind of see, or the main connection you can sort of see, is back to uh, Trayvon Martin, and mm -hmm. that's yeah. where kind of a lot of it stems from. But then, as they sort of start crafting things it starts to sort of be that uh, uh reality imitating art type of deal so a lot of it uh like the dash cam video like they didn't have 
the ability to to put that in really i mean you know when you actually look at how ahead you've got to be with production and stuff that just was sort of coincidence yeah it's uh it, it's interesting that they actually did that before what we're saying about has been more prominent in the news i'm just surprised they didn't have you know, Mariah be Hillary or Trump <laughs> in there to, to also get some political things going. But no, it, it was interesting to see that. Um, There was just a lot of things in there that uh, I think that I'm glad they didn't play up too much the news angle. I mean, there was some of that. There was, it was showing the media involved and how the media can be manipulated by, by uh, politicians and even really by the police and the citizens but um i guess i'm just a little burnt out right now on the media that i'm glad the show didn't spend too much time on that subject. well and and what i liked is it wasn't so much them focusing like like uh, that on you saying but it's more of the way in which especially mariah is able to almost in a palpatine way like she uses the media to craft a narrative to create fear and chaos against uh, and, and war against the wrong people so that she can slowly overtake the system. Uh, she can slowly work her way back into the politics and everything. And it, it just, I, I really thought that was fascinating the way that they were showing that happen that, you know, that that's the way things work. You just take bits and pieces of information and you craft a narrative that sounds true enough, but it isn't. And I thought that, that was really fascinating because, you know, um, the are making up stories before all the facts are in. And, and so people then in those, they're just assuming things about others, like because they're the police or because they're black. And they play that really well. And, and what I liked is I thought the show did a very fair job of covering seeing those different biases on all sides. I was really pleased with the show for that reason. Like you said, Bruce, I'm kind of tired of that, that the media and the way it portrays things. And what I loved here is that it was just having an honest conversation about where we are and what things really look like. And I thought they were doing a great job. And to me, the thing that really rang true is Misty when she said, the only thing that matters is the truth. I think th I, th I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we haven't even brought up Misty yet. Uh, what did y'all think of her? I like her. I mean, I, she was a strong character. She's probably the character out of everyone here that has uh, their act together. She, I mean, there was a part where she was kind of having a breakdown, but she's recovered from it. And then she kind of had another breakdown, but only because she's right mm -hmm. and everybody else is wrong. And so it's frustrating when you know the truth and nobody's believing in it or they know the truth and she knows they know the truth, but you know, like she said, you know, the, the system is broke. They're letting bad people walk because of, you know, rules and regulations and stuff. And we know what's right, but we can't hold to those ideals because the system is broken, doesn't let us keep these people locked up. It doesn't give us a chance to throw them in behind bars and never let them out again. And so she had a lot of passion. She had a lot of great chemistry with Luke Cage and the other characters. And she was she was definitely a very strong woman detective great character um she she could she could hold her own series it's funny you say that <laughs> she's well <laughs> because she's actually from the comics as well um and and she's actually been uh in the heroes for hire and the defenders and then uh most notably 
she's one of the the two members of the Daughters of the Dragon. Uh, her and Colleen Wing. Um, if you notice at the very last episode when uh, Claire, uh, the night nurse, um, I can't think of the, the actress's name right now, and I really hate myself for it because she's beautiful. Rosario Dawson. When she pulls the little uh, the little thing off the flyer and it says like Colleen Wing's uh, martial arts, that is um, Misty's partner. So that was sort of like a little little nod uh, there. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was a little odd when they, she tore the little paper. I'm like, okay, I guess she's going to take martial arts. What's the point of that? But now I know there's a yeah, connection. Yeah, it's and then also that's um, Colleen is is their connection to Danny Rand as well, um, which we know is coming in the Iron Fist show. I I liked her a lot. I loved mm-hmm. her. Like just, I, I'm ballsy, spunky Brooklyn. You know she is tough as nails, and I thought she was fantastic. I thought the actress was phenomenal in the role, and I really liked her uh, portrayal. And I'm really looking forward to seeing her be more involved, especially now. Um, you know, with the way the show ends, it's going to be very interesting to see how they, you know get Luke back for the the defenders and everything like that. Um, and so my guess is, is that Luke Cage season two probably won't have to deal with some of that stuff because they're going to have to pull him out of prison somehow or get him off, uh, you know, like free, uh, but so he can be a part of the defenders, uh, because that's coming up probably before Luke Cage season two. Uh, so, but yeah, Misty was, I really enjoyed any time that she was on screen and I just felt like the actress really nailed that tough as nails detective who knows her city, cares about her city, is so good at her job she could be doing like FBI, CIA type work probably, uh, but she's dedicated to making sure that the place that she's from is is as safe as it can be. Uh, and I just really liked that. And, uh, you know, I thought it was great to to show a cop in this whole thing in, in such a great light. Uh, and, and so I thought that was a really nice thing to see uh, in this show, uh, that there can be great cops and they can also be great African-American cops. You know, I, I thought that was really a, a wonderful thing to have happen throughout this whole show. So I really, really liked her. Which leads me to ask you guys, uh, I love that Claire keeps showing up <laughs> in all these shows. <laughs> But man, I love, I'll be honest, I love her relationship with Luke Cage. Claire and Luke Cage for life. Those they yeah. are awesome <laughs> together. I'm I'm with you 100%. Uh they their back and forth is so good. Um you know the the first that I really remember it being great was when uh you know there he is finally shot actually shot for the first time, you know, possibly going to die because of uh his situation. And she has to pull out the um, the sonar thing, and uh, she's rubbing on him, and he just goes, "Is it a boy or a girl?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that, I forgot about that one. That was funny. And then also, um, I then uh, Misty at one point makes a comment to the two of them, "You guys talk like a married couple," and I think that just shows that relationship that they have. And when when Claire first showed up on screen, you know. I'm very familiar with this actress and and it took me a moment to remember, Oh wait, yeah, this is wait. She was in Mm -hmm. daredevil. Yeah. She played this character and I looked up later and I saw what she was also in Jessica Jones. Is that right? 
So it, it, I like how she's carrying over, but she definitely fits in really well with Luke Cage. And I'm, I'm going to ship them. So, you know, they, they should be together. Put them together. Um, hopefully, if there is a second season, do we even know if there's a second season? Because I'd like to see them together again. I don't know if that's been announced. Yet. I haven't. They haven't announced Luke Cage season two because they're doing Iron Fist and then the Defenders. So I'm, and I think they're working on Jessica Jones season two and I guess Daredevil season three in the works. So uh, they've got a lot going on, but I would hope that they would do Luke Cage season two because I really do want to see it. And yeah, um, I want Claire and Luke. To finally get some coffee, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, because I hear the Puerto Rican blend, some the strong stuff. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Oh gosh, um, I now that leads me to a mistake in this in this show that bothered my wife and I so much. When they go to see Noah Bernstein, the doctor from Seagate, who had given Luke his powers, they only take the shrapnel out of his shoulder. They never take the shrapnel or even mention that he has shrapnel anymore in his stomach. And then later on, he lifts up his shirt to Claire to say, oh, look, I'm, I'm okay. Like, it's a huge blunder in the show that when they're trying to save his life and they're counting it down, they're only pulling the shrapnel out of his shoulder and not his original wound in his stomach. Uh, and then they re-reference that later on. It's just, it was a, a my wife and I was like, are you serious? Like, his first shot was in the stomach. Yeah. Wait, okay, so when he got shot in the stomach, didn't they say it could move up to his head? Didn't there was something like that, like the, like the pieces could get into his neck or something, like if it, it could move around? No, they or... were just saying that I, I... Uh, his, his body, because of the way his cells were structured, were pushing the shrapnel deeper into his organs, uh, and that's why they needed to get them out. Yeah. Okay, so it pushed it so far in that it pushed it up, Towards his shoulder. No, because so he got shot in the shoulder. They took both pieces He out. just got shot in the shoulder. That's what How happened. convenient. They both, all the shrapnel ended up in one yeah. location. They, they're they magnetic. They ah, uh, okay. Attracted to okay. each other and I all see. stuck together. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, anyway, I gotta say, just, Luke uh, was pretty attractive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it just bothered me. The thing I really like about Luke Cage, to, and, and what really I think made this so successful to me was just... Luke himself uh, and I, I think that the actor is just phenomenal in the role but I think his portrayal of the character and, and the way that he does feel like this normal guy with a corny sense of humor he's he's got a lot of great funny one-liners in in here but it's not forced, you know? It doesn't feel... You When you watch some of the Marvel movies, you really feel like the humor's kind of like we're just looking for the one-liner every two seconds. But here it just feels very natural to the character and to the situation, and I think it's fantastic. And I really have to say that resting on the shoulders of Luke Cage in this series works perfectly. Uh, and, and it's just lucky that the character is written well enough and portrayed well enough so that he can carry the whole series. And everybody else around him is just shining as well. And to me, for for some of the little sins that we kind of talked about with some of the characters or uh, the mistake about the shrapnel, stuff like that, 
I think this is just a really, really well done season of Netflix Marvel. Uh, so I'm really glad that um, I feel like they've learned from some of the mistakes uh, from some of the other seasons that they've done. And Luke Cage feels like the culmination of just a lot of hard work. And I, I, I think this is this is four point five out of five wrecked pop shops. <laughs> so because they just wreck that shop all the they time <laughs> it's it's bad so it's i don't know so what good. do you what do you think uh michael what uh what were some of your favorite things and what do you think you might rate uh luke cage i'm so mad at myself because i'm not a very good morning person but i meant knowing that i was going to do this today i meant to put on my wu-tang shirt uh today uh i thought when when he was walking you know he, he puts the earbuds in and they're playing bring the ruckus and he's just like walking through getting shot up and everything. I was like, yes, because that's I mean, like that song has been my workout song before. You know, I love Wu-Tang Clan and um, it just it is it's it's such a, a pumped song. Uh, and then, of course, he actually meets Method Man later. And I, I just loved that. Uh, really got to geek out there. One thing that is kind of I don't really hold against them, but I was like, you jerks uh they sort of punked some of the uh the the comic readers because misty gets shot in her right arm and so i'm going ah and they're like no no it's fine it's gonna heal but uh misty in the comics actually has a robotic right arm so i was thinking i'm like that's what they're gonna do that's how they're gonna give her the arm but no they just they were just playing us um so I, I guess if if I were going to um, rate it, I would probably give it uh, four cups of Cuban coffee. Oh, spicy! What about you, Bruce? <laughs> so Luke Cage, I, I really don't feel like we gave this character a, a lot of justice on the show. I felt like we we focused a lot on, especially on the villains, but uh, we did we did say some good things. And uh, Mike Coulter, who played the character, did a great job. I I. He's he's definitely a boy scout. He's had a he's had a really crappy life outside of his childhood. You know, he, he sounded like his childhood was okay, but you know, being thrown in jail for a crime he didn't commit and he's not really taking revenge. He's still a good guy, you know? He's always, you know, just looking forward and doing the right thing. And with that kind of strength that he got, he could have really gone bad and, and taken revenge on the police and everybody but he's got a really good head on his shoulder so i love the character and i love that uh when he did get out of jail and i i guess he broke out of jail in a sense but when he did he was wearing you know a yellow shirt and he had the headband on from when they were you know put him in the in the tank or whatever that gave him his super strength because that's the character he looked like in and the original comics and stuff. So that was a the really cool call out. And my favorite scene with him also was, I think it was like the last two episodes or something when he goes into like the, the shop there, the convenience store or whatever. And he just taps these, these guys are holding it up. He just taps them on the head and they just pass out. I mean, that's the strength he has. He just, you know, bloop, takes a little tap on the head and boom, they're out. So, um, I like the show a lot. Like I said earlier, I thought it was going well, until Cottonmouth died, and then it got a little weird to me, and I started to lose interest, and then I got interested in it again. It almost felt like two seasons, uh, like there's two parts to this, and I like part one actually better than part two. But outside of that, I would say um, 
if haircuts were $10, I'm going to pay eight. I like it. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I mean, there's so much more that, I mean, when you talk about a, a TV show, uh, or or a Netflix show. There's so much that you can talk about. I mean, there's just this. This show is is just rife for conversation. And so I hope that you'll join us over on the Babel Conference to talk about it with us. Or of course, uh, send in uh, your emails uh, at trek.fm/contact. Would love to just hear what people thought about Luke Cage. And uh, I hope everybody enjoys it. I mean, I I, I did. I thought. I, here's it. Here here's it. Before we go. So if you were going to rank Michael, uh, I, I think you've seen all of the shows uh, that Netflix has done. And so I know Bruce hasn't yet, but what would be your rankings of the shows? Where would you put them uh, that we've had so far? Ooh, that's that's really tough, mostly just because Daredevil's had two seasons. Yeah, it's my job to ask the tough questions. <laughs> um. I think I'm going to put Daredevil at the top still. Um, but I, but I think it also has an unfair advantage. Uh, but then I would go Luke Cage and then Jessica Jones. That's uh, man. That's, that's so funny. Cause I'm Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and then Daredevil season two. That's, that's where I place them as well. So man, hmm, who knew that Michael and I had so much in common. That's fantastic. <laughs> Well, guys, so glad we got to, to talk about uh, Luke Cage. And, and, of course, really want to thank our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, and Norman Lau for supporting the show and making sure that all the content here through Trek FM keeps coming to you each and every week. Uh, well, we are a listener-supported network, and, and we definitely need your help to make sure that all the shows can keep coming to you. And so go over to patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can see how you can be part of the team Every tiny little bit helps, honestly. So uh, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Michael, it has been fantastic to have you in the Suxo 2 Club tonight. And uh, really appreciate you joining us here to talk about Luke Cage. But uh, let everybody know where they can find you online. And uh, I think uh, you might have a podcast of your own that uh, people might be interested in. Yeah, but I, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, I... I'm over uh, on the uh, Star Wars Report Network, if you're familiar with them. It's over at StarWarsReport.com. And then uh, it's uh, Cloud City Casino is my podcast. And uh, you can find it over there or just on pretty much any of the, the podcatchers. Awesome. Uh, and uh, if people wanted to maybe catch up with you on Twitter, do you have a Twitter presence or Facebook or anything like that where people can shout out at you? Yeah. So it's just Cloud City Casino on those. Uh, or then I also have my uh, my personal, which is just Morris Isley. Nice. Bruce, man, uh, always good to have you back here in the 602 Club. Hope we uh, treated you well tonight with, uh, I don't know, something good from Ruby. But uh, let everybody know where you are so they can uh, holler out at you. Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can also find me here on Trek FM on Literary Treks with Matthew, yourself, and Dan Gunther. And I'm um, occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast, as Michael was mentioning, Star Wars Report. And uh, if you listen to some early episodes of Cloud City Casino, you'll hear me on there with Michael. Going like, I don't know, what was those? Like episodes 11 through... 30 or something yeah, like somewhere that. in there right right before you uh couldn't pay your debts and ended up getting uh putting carbon freeze from a bounty hunter 
Yes, I've been in carbon freeze ever <laughs> That's since. That's what that smell is. <laughs> and I'm so glad we could be on here, all three of us together, because I've been on shows, but never together with, with the two of you. Bruce, so it's I was really on cool Cloud City Casino with you, with you <laughs> where we talked about Hallmark ornaments. You were? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Jeez, we did. Man, I'm so glad. I'm so. Wow. Uh, oh, okay. What? Wait. What it's episode that, it's that was carbon that? sickness? Oh yeah. Oh goodness. <laughs> yes, that was about a year. <laughs> it ago. was. It was about a year ago. So anyway, well, you can find mm-hmm. me on Twitter at mattrushing 2 You can also find me here on the network doing the orb with Chris Jones talking about Deep Face Nine and Bruce. You already mentioned literary tracks where people can find us, but of course, I'm also over on the nerdparty.com. Uh, you can find my show that I do with John Mills called Aggressive Negotiations. Uh, we just enjoy talking about a great new Star Wars topic each week. It's a lot of fun. So check us out on thenerdparty.com or, of course, on iTunes. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Ah.